Good morning. Good to, good to see you all. My name is Father Aaron Damiani. Um, I'm the pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church and uh, delighted that you joined us for Easter Sunday. Uh, you know, it's a Sunday where we, we just celebrate and uh, throw open the doors and expect that um, we're going to have family in town and, and, uh, and others who are just dipping their toe in the water just for Easter. And wherever you're at, um, as it regards to faith, you're welcome here. And I hope that there's something in this message for you, something in this Easter story for you uh, that would encourage you and uh, help you taste of the, just the goodness of this day and the goodness of Jesus. Um, I want to invite you to turn to Luke 24, where we're going to be uh, looking at the uh, account of Luke, this historian who followed Jesus and put together a biography of Jesus's life. The title of our message today is Expecting Miracles in a Grieving World. Expecting Miracles in a Grieving World. And I just want to begin with the question of, is it responsible for grown adults to expect miracles in a world where we experience a lot of grieving? We experience a lot of suffering, and we see a lot of unnecessary suffering. Um, A grieving world where there's physical suffering, there's chronic pain and infertility and diseases that destroy the body. A grieving world where close relationships um, break off forever between family members or close friends, and people just stop talking to one another. Um, Is it really, like, should we really be expecting miracles in a world where that happens? Our grieving world has people crushed regularly by inequality and poverty and systems that seem to be set against them. Um, Really, a a grieving world is a world where crucifixions happen. Crucifixions, uh, such as Jesus' crucifixion, which included physical pain, a relational cutoff, and inequality and injustice. Is it responsible for us to have high expectations for God? for what God's promised to do? Um, Or should we, if we're grown up and nuanced in our understanding of the way the world works, should we actually lower our expectations for God so that we don't get disappointed by him? And that's really what we're gonna be asking. We're gonna be going with this question to Luke 24. Is it really responsible to expect miracles in a world that grieves, with hearts that grieve? Um. And I just want to look at this first verse here. It's so instructive. And this really, as I was studying this text, jumped out to me. On the first day of the week, Luke says, at early dawn, uh, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. These are women, Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene, and Joanna. Um, They uh, go to the tomb of Jesus after his crucifixion. Now, these small huddle of women had really been through incredible trauma over the last few days and hours. Um, These women must have been incredibly tough because they were some of the only ones that stayed with Jesus all the way to the very end. As Jesus was getting um, tried publicly, as people were shouting, crucify him, as Peter and the other disciples were denying Jesus, betraying Jesus, running as fast as they could away from Jesus, these women, along with the Apostle John, stayed with Jesus. And in fact, at one point, they they huddled around the cross as he was suffocating, as he was bleeding, as 
as he's like dying, their leader, the one who set them free. And you can just imagine them going, hey, I think my theology needs to change here. You know, my, my leader is dying. And uh, this, this like must not be the Messiah or something's different. Maybe I need to stick with him, but lower my expectations of what he can do. Because in a world of crucifixions, what else do you do? And so they watched him die. And then Joseph of Arimathea comes along and he requests the body of Jesus. You can imagine Joseph of Arimathea gently taking down the body of Jesus and like carrying him with the women following behind him to this tomb that, that Joseph had, had prepared for Jesus and going into the tomb, you know, with Joseph and, and watching Joseph wrapped Jesus and, and like just weeping over his body and going, I guess this is the world that I lived in. I had hopes when I was younger, you know? I had a faith when I was younger, but now I need to adjust my theology and I need to adjust my faith and maybe just expect less from God. That night, after watching Jesus' crucifixion, they went home and what did they do? They took some ointments, uh, some flowers, some spices, and they prepared Spices, Luke 23 tells us. You don't need to turn there, but they all, they all prepared spices together before the Sabbath, okay? So Friday night, it's like the last thing they do before observing the Sabbath. Why are they doing that? Well, because Jesus is dead, right? Like his body's going to need a, some, some spices, you know, something to cut the stink. I mean, isn't that the best that we can do? It's like all we know how to do right now is just kind of take the disappointing reality that God gave us, served us up with, and just piously do our best with a dead body. And what else could they do? And so on Sunday morning, you know, as soon as light breaks, they're like, you know what, we were with Jesus to the end. We're gonna get up this morning. We're gonna take our package of dried spices and ointments, and we're going to maybe even just leave them outside the tomb or maybe we can, we, can, we can actually anoint Jesus' body with them. Anyway, they go to the tomb, and they've got these flowers. Um, I found, as I was studying these women, that these flowers represent, in some ways, our own post-traumatic faith. Because we've all seen some level of a grieving world We've all seen relationships break down, marriages break down and dissolve after years of goodness. We've all experienced in some way or another someone's body failing them. Some of us, when our bodies fail us, we don't even get a diagnosis. We don't get any kind of plan for recovery. Some here have been betrayed by a friend and are estranged from a family member. There's been maybe an act of violence or evil that has come against you, your neighborhood, your family, your friends. Some have experienced loneliness, miscarriages, um, uh, or maybe a layoff at work. You see a layoff at work, you've been laid off, your friend's have been laid off, you're like, when am I gonna be next? And it's just like, all we can do is just gather up our spices and our ointments and just sort of piously lower our expectations for what God can do because we've seen crucifixions, our own version of them in this life. And so we get by with a post-traumatic faith. Um, we lower our expectations for what God can do. We forget what he's promised to do. 
And we get our bearings through religious acts, which give us some kind of sense of control. Maybe speaking the words of the liturgy, right? But without any kind of confidence that we might be talking about reality of what God could do. Um, Maybe reading the words of the Bible out of pious duty or like a one-year Bible reading plan, but without any hopeful expectation that the promises contained in the Bible might be speaking about the reality that we live in. Or maybe showing up to our city groups um, to fulfill a commitment and see our friends, but not expecting God to show up as well. Some of us, you know, we confess sins that God forgave years ago, uh, not actually expecting the power of Jesus' cross and forgiveness to cleanse us and free us from guilt and shame forever. And so we prepare embalming spices uh, of piously low expectations for what God can do. These dead flowers that were at one time wilt, uh, blooming and then they wilted uh, and now they're just sort of piously wrapped up. The Lord has promised to do other things, new things, that we wouldn't even believe if someone told us about it. So the women go to the tomb with their religious devotion to Jesus, expecting a dead body, expecting a corpse. And then there's some twists. You can see with me in verse two, um, that, uh, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Probably a, a surprise, not a good surprise, uh, second one is verse three, when they went and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And just, oh man, this is getting worse by the minute someone took the body of Jesus probably and they're desecrating it. Um, I don't even get a chance to practice my faith anymore, maybe they thought. I, I can't even embalm Jesus' body. So while they were perplexed about this, verse four, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Um, now, this kind of sounds like, you know, two extremely well-dressed guys, um, the way that it's translated. I think it's better translated that two men towered over them with flashing apparel, flashing apparel from another world. These men are messengers, they're angels sent from the throne room of God um, that are visible to mortal eyes for just a moment. So the women, they, they had come to the tomb with dead flowers, and sad hearts, but they did not expect the power of God. And it's just too much to take in. As they encounter the presence of holiness, verse 5, as they, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, which is always the human response to encountering a heavenly being in the scriptures, um, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek, it's such an intriguing question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Like, um, why are you seeking a dead God with dead flowers? Why are you seeking a dead, uh, a dead power with dead religion? Um, and only in a tomb where only the dead go. Like, so piously, like you got the flowers in your hand, ready to pay homage. Um, but you don't have your hands open to the power and the miracles of God. Uh, they didn't see it coming, but... I think they should have seen it coming. We probably would have forgotten. I'm not sure why they forgot, but they forgot. Jesus told them that this was going to happen. The angels remind them of what Jesus taught them in uh, his lifetime. Verse six, the angels say, he is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. They remembered the word of God. Listen, Jesus promised to these women and to other disciples of his that he would die. He said it was going to happen. Um, And then he promised to be raised from the dead. He opened the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and taught that his death and resurrection was part of the plan. You know, he opened the Psalms and taught that his death and resurrection was part of the plan. He opened the prophets and taught that his death and resurrection was part of the plan. While he was still on earth ministering before his crucifixion, he's teaching them in Galilee, like north of Jerusalem, and he's saying, this is from Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Um, it's not going to be a, like a flea bite. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. Okay? Things are going to get really bad. There's no denying the grieving world from Jesus. He's not a religious pretender pretending that the world is as it should be. But he also promised them, and on the third day, the Son of Man will be raised. That, like, you've never seen this before, but you're going to see it when I'm raised from the dead. I'll be raised to life after I die, after all the terrible things happen. There will be a miracle on the other end of grief. So Jesus told them this would happen. He spoke the word of God to them, but it didn't quite like the dots didn't totally connect that like he was making a promise to change reality that would involve them, that they would see with their own eyes. You know, maybe they assume like, oh, it's probably like a metaphor for something, you know, for like the way to see, like it's, a, it's kind of like, maybe it's like a mindset, like a general mindset of like, he's alive in our hearts, you know? Uh, like, you know, like positivity or something, or maybe it's like only in the age to come, you know, maybe there's going to be some kind of drama thing, but like not something that they would see with their own eyes. Not something that would actually happen. He was telling them something's going to happen that's going to be totally unprecedented. No one's going to see it coming, but I'm going to show you it's coming from the Bible, and it didn't quite sink in but it sinks in now. To their credit, the women believe the angels. And they get going. They drop their dead flowers and their pious expectations for what God can do. And they run and they become the first evangelists and they have the toughest crowd in the world. Um, Verse nine, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 11 males um, and to all the rest. (laughs) Now it was Mary Magdalene, verse 10, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as crazy talk, that's my words, and they did not believe them. Just imagine the tension in the room as, as the women come in. Their faith has been revived. Uh, they, they believe God, you know? They believe what the angels spoke, and they, they believe what Jesus had taught them, and you can just imagine like maybe raised voices or like tense 
words coming out and just some back and forth of like, guys, he's alive. Don't you remember the, remember he opened up Psalm 16 and applied Psalm 16 to him? Do you remember that one time when he opened up Daniel 12 and the whole thing about um, the, the resurrection and he applied it to himself and then he said that we were gonna follow him in that? And Don't you remember him opening up um, Ezekiel 37 and the whole thing about dry bones and like, but it didn't quite, remember, he was, he was actually talking about an actual resurrection. And maybe the, you know, the disciples that had hung back that morning just became patronizing, like, you know what, Mary Magdalene, you've had kind of a up and down life, you know, you're very emotional right now, you should probably have a seat, calm down, okay, we're the mature ones, we're the theologically educated ones, you know, we get it in a way that you don't. Um, you've seen a lot. We've all been through a lot. And so you should just calm down and stop the crazy talk. And uh, just the back and forth of like, I was there. I saw the empty tomb. I saw two extremely well-dressed men from another world. They confirmed it. You know, uh, earlier, so the prophet Habakkuk has a has a a word from the Lord that really captures this moment here, this tension. Habakkuk 1.5, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told the disciples, most of them are, they're hearing what God did, what God is doing in their day, but they don't believe it, even though someone's telling them about it. God made good on his promise to raise Jesus from the dead. And I wonder on this Easter Sunday, what other promises has God made that we don't believe, even though we've been told about it? Promises we're not expecting to actually be true, um, even though they are recorded in Scripture. Promises for this life and the next. Promises for the already and the not yet. Not or the not yet, but and the not yet. Uh, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and children to their fathers. To establish the work of our hands in his coming kingdom. To forgive all our sins. To heal all our diseases. As he talks about in Psalm 103, to make a new heavens and a new earth and then unite them forever. To judge all injustice and all evil, holding everyone to account. To remove hearts of stone, metaphor for spiritual hardness, and give hearts of flesh, metaphor for spiritual tenderness and life. To pour out his spirit on dry bones, um, reviving people, reviving marriages, reviving families, reviving cities, reviving cultures, reviving churches. To bring back lost sheep who have wandered and then restore them to himself as a shepherd. To crush evil, to defeat Satan, to renew the face of the earth. That is all promised in the Bible. I was reading Romans 8 recently. Romans 8, it's just a beautiful passage of scripture which describes many of the promises that are true in Jesus. Soaking all of them up and I realized, man, I want Emmanuel Anglican to soak in these promises as well. So we're gonna start a new series next week, The Promises of the Resurrection. 
and we'll just be in Romans 8 for a few weeks, soaking all of them up. The Lord says, I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I wonder here, and this is a really critical turning point right at the end of the text. Right at the end of our text, there is one of the disciples who checks it out. One of the disciples, he's a skeptic. Um, he's, um, he's in a very complicated place in life. He's in a very complicated place with faith, but he makes a move to check things out. Is this really true? Could God bring miracles in a world of crucifixions? And it's Peter. It's Peter. Um, he blew it. He denied Jesus, and, um, and he doesn't quite believe the women, but he wants to know if what they're talking about might be true. And I wonder if this is the turn for many of us who have a post-traumatic faith. Verse 12 says this, but Peter rose, okay? Uh, Peter rose. If nothing else, he got off his duff and ran to the tomb, all right? He runs. Another gospel tells us that, that uh, John, the beloved disciple, ran with him, but that um, uh, John wrote, uh, ran faster. Anyway, Peter rose, ran to the tomb, Stooping and looking in, he kind of like, all right, like, is this really what's going on? Come on now. What? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. No well-dressed men anymore, but at, no body of Jesus either. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Lots to unpack. He didn't quite understand this miracle. When God does a miracle, we don't quite, we need time to process it. Jesus would come to him later and help him, and remind him of all that he had already taught him. Um, you know, maybe you're like Peter. You need some evidence. You feel skeptical. You know that Jesus always has welcomed the skeptic. He's always been really patient with the skeptic and really appreciates. He shows his appreciation to people who need evidence. If you need evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, you can even pray this gutsy prayer, God, if you're real, make yourself known to me. If you're real, let me see it with my own eyes. And he'll answer that prayer. Um, so what if some other of us can open the scriptures and asking the question, um, what else would God do in my lifetime and for the generations to come that I can begin watching for and expecting, and praying for. In the last week, uh, this Holy Week at our church, I have heard and seen signs of miracles in a grieving world. I want to tell you about some of them to give glory to God, okay? Some of you may or may not know Alice Hansen. Alice Hansen is a a dear woman of God in our church. She's a member of our church, helped plant Emmanuel Anglican. And um, she, for many years, was estranged from her brother, her older brother, and she, for 10 years, were not on speaking terms. And this was a complicated, painful reality that she prayed her way through. And recently, God brought a breakthrough in their relationship. She's not here on Easter. She's with her brother in Colorado. Last week, she stood here and she said, look, Aaron, she had a bracelet that her brother 
gave her as a gift of love and a sign of reconciliation that she's wearing right now. In the first service at Emmanuel Anglican, um, during the service, there was someone uh, named Jeff who was becoming a member of our church for the first time. And uh, he came up to me afterwards and he said, Aaron, I've been estranged from my brother. We have not been on speaking terms for three years. And I got a text from him this morning saying, I want to talk to you. I know of another couple um, who have prayed for years to conceive a child. And uh, the reason they couldn't was because of cysts um, that, the, that the woman had. And um, uh, this, uh, this wife, uh, this woman, attended a multi-church worship service out in the suburbs that was in part led by Church of the Resurrection, our sending church. In the process of leading the service, Bishop Stuart Ruck, my pastor and our overseer, um, prayed a prayer over the whole body of people and saying, you know, I just feel led by the Holy Spirit to pray for a re- removal and healing of cysts from someone here. And um, so several days later, this woman went to get a checkup, and the medical profess- professionals were shocked to find that there was no remaining cysts in her body. Several months later, they found out they were pregnant. Their baby girl is getting baptized this morning. Um, the final story I'll mention, there are other stories. I had to cut some of stories. I don't like doing that. Um, but I have to tell you about this story. And it was from an individual who came to our Good Friday service a couple days ago, right here at Uplift High School. And here's what this person said. They wrote out, I asked them to, like, they told me about it afterwards. I said, would you write it out so I can understand the fullness of it? They sent this to me. I was born with a debilitating disability that became symptomatically worse as an adult to the point I was unable to work and even at times dress or bathe myself. I needed help with almost every aspect of my life. My whole life revolves around my pain and fatigue, whether that be during the never-ending cycle of physical therapy and doctor's appointments or the inability to socialize even though I want to and the feelings of helplessness and loneliness. On Friday night, I was in a great deal of physical pain to the point that I normally would not have come to church, but I had greatly desired to be with the church body and to worship at the cross. When we were invited to come down to the cross, I was feeling defeated by the fact that I was able to come to church, but my pain prevented me from going to the cross. So I decided to pray from where I was sitting. While I was praying, the Holy Spirit asked me, to ask him to touch my body. I did, and my pain was immediately taken away from my entire body, even in areas where I have never been without pain. Immediately after, the Lord gave me a a passage of scripture from Exodus 4, uh, Exodus 4.10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue, Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. This individual goes on to say, I had a very clear sense of the Lord telling me that the last seven years of my life that I have spent in and out of doctor's offices, um, 
see here. Completely incapacitated with pain and on, unable to work and socialize was not for nothing. He told me that he has a very specific calling for my life and a reason for my journey and disability. This experience, she, uh, she says, has been profound, and I do not know what the future holds. I do know that I still have a chronic condition that I will continue to have to deal with. But the relief from physical pain that I'm experiencing has been unlike anything that I have felt before. And I'm excited to see what the Lord has in store for me. Praise God. You know, we live in a grieving world with chronic conditions and broken relationships. Jesus Christ has entered this world, has taken on this grief, and out of his suffering and death has brought resurrection, has brought miracles, has brought promises to come true. We don't know the timing of all of these things. We don't even know in the mystery of God why some people experience deliverances like this and others don't, but still walk by faith. Nevertheless, God wants us to seek his face and to ask for these miracles and to ask for him to come in power and renew us from the inside out. It may be that you're here and you're hearing that story and there's a part of you that wants that to happen for just your whole life. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never actually trusted him to be your savior. You've never trusted him to be Lord, to forgive your sin, to make you a new creation. You can pray today. You can ask him right from where you sit, Lord Jesus, would you heal my whole life? Make me a living miracle, and he'll do that this morning. Maybe you're here, and you've got a post-traumatic faith with layer upon layer of cynicism, and you don't believe God could make good on his promises. And you, this morning, this very morning, can, uh, like the women, like Peter, open your hands up and say yes to the Lord uh, to take away the cynicism and renew your soul with faith. Um, all of us this morning have an opportunity, though we live in a grieving world, to expect miracles because God is, uh, has promised to do something in our own day that we would scarcely believe, even if someone were to tell us about it. To that end, let's take a moment to pray. And Father, I want to ask now for your Holy Spirit to now fill our minds, our hearts, uh, this entire space, set it apart for you. If uh, you're here and you actually would like to turn to the living, resurrected Christ for the first time, Here's something that you can pray this morning. You can say, Lord, I want you to make my life a living miracle. I confess you as Lord over my life, my past, present, and future. Would you please pardon and forgive my sin? Would you now give me that Holy Spirit that you promised? And would you teach me how to follow you for the rest of my life? And he'll answer that prayer now. For those whose expectations for God have piously fallen short of what he's promised. You can just ask, Lord, remind me of all the miracles that you promised in your word and let me see them with my own eyes as I follow you this Eastertide. Father, would you now give us fresh excitement about asking for and looking for you to make good on all your promises? 
Would you awaken our attention to prayers you've already answered? Would you let us see miracles you've quietly worked around us? And would you do a work in our day that future generations would scarcely believe, even if someone told them? And Father, would you let us be the ones who tell them? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.